98.6 FM. You are In other bad news, the oat milk shortage is going to continue. Sometimes the craziness and pressure of life can steal moments from us, and we don't want to lose a moment today just because it's one of those beautiful long weekends. So I'm going to invite you at home and those in the room to please join me by standing to your feet and observing a moment of silence, remembering those who paid the ultimate price. For those who paid for our right to be here today, would you join me in that remembrance? Father, we are so mindful of our freedom in this moment. And we do thank you for all of those who laid down their lives so that we could have this moment in freedom. Father, as cemeteries are, are filled this weekend with loved ones who are paying their respects and grieving once again, we pray that they would know they are not alone and they would experience not only the peace of God, but the peace of knowing that others are thinking of them and praying for them. So Father, again, we thank you. We thank you for freedom in Jesus. We thank you for the freedom that we experience every day in this country. We are so unbelievably grateful as we remember on this Memorial Day weekend. We pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. And while you're grabbing a seat, I'm going to invite you to do something. If you could grab a device, most of you will have something like this near to your uh, person, your proximity right now. And I want to encourage you to open up a browser and go to ctk.church survey. All right, I know you can do it. You know, you're not supposed to do it. And I was like, ah, oh, I put my phone away for church. That's okay, grab it. ctk.church slash survey. We're gonna ask a simple question because we want you to participate. It basically is asking this question. In 2020, my level of depression and anxiety increased a little, increased a lot, decreased a little, decreased a lot, or stayed the same. We'd love to hear from you, and I will talk about those uh, results in just a little bit. While you are doing that, ctk.church slash survey, I want to welcome those of you that are at the CTK uh, National Park campus today, the CTK Back Patio campus today, the CTK, I drove two hours and it actually took me six on a Memorial Day long weekend and I'll never do that again. That campus, those of you that are here for that, we're glad that you're here and to those that are in the room as well. It's a beautiful long weekend and I am so glad that you chose to join us. 
So we are going to get deeply personal this week. And before I say anything I want to tell you, uh, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a mental health professional, I'm a pastor, and the only story I have is the story of God's grace that I'm living right now. And a part of my story is a little black rain cloud that I have battled for years. I would never have classified myself as depressed. I would have used words like sad, blue, maybe a little bit down, but not the word depressed. My little black rain cloud grew into a full-blown hurricane in 2011, 2012. Ironically, it was during a time when Christ the King was experiencing what most people would call grand success. We were successful across the board, and on the inside, I was dying. I can say it now, I couldn't say it then, but I was struggling with depression, and I felt so unbelievably alone. So I did what a lot of us do. I picked myself up by my spiritual bootstraps. I prayed harder, served harder, and ministered harder. I tried to love in ways that I had never loved before. And everything that I did to try and correct my path actually made me feel a little darker. Tried to everything to shake that little black rain cloud and it just would not go away. I was stuck in silence because I bought into a stigma. There's a stigma of depression in the world and it sounds like this. In the world, depression is often seen or perceived as weakness. I hope that's actually changing, but that's the stigma. And I didn't want to be seen as weak because after all, I'm the pastor, right? I'm, I'm, I'm the leader. I'm a promise. I'm a possibility. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a possibility with a great big capital P. I'm a great big bundle of potentiality. I mean, and I'm not allowed to be weak. The world has a picture of depression. And here's the sad part. In the church, depression is often seen or perceived as a lack of faith. And I heard people say things to me like, come on. Come on, Grant. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Just be happy. You've got the joy, 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 joy down in your heart. Where? Down in your heart. Those of you that grew up in church, you know what I'm talking about. You still have the scar, don't you? I mean, come on, Grant. Have more faith. Believe. Pray more. Persevere. And for the love of God, fake it and smile. I was stuck because I didn't want to be seen as weak and pastors aren't allowed to struggle with faith or anything else so I bought the stigma, believed the lie that I was absolutely alone in this. In my struggle, I started searching and I found out the lie wasn't true. Let's just talk about the elephant in the room for all of us. According to Harris Research Analysis of 2014, I'll get to 2021 in just a second, 29% of Christians, Jesus followers in the United States have struggled with depression at some point in your life. That's over 45 million Christians. If you need perspective, that's California and Massachusetts put together. In the last year, the number climbed to just under half of all Jesus followers, about 48%. According to the numbers, it means this. Out of every 10 believers you know, almost half of them are struggling with some form of depression right now. And that's inside the church. Outside, the number is forecast to be as high as 6 out of 10. Here's how I extrapolate that, because I'm an optimist. None of us are alone. I found out statistically I wasn't alone. That helped a little. Then I found out biblically I wasn't alone, and that actually helped a lot. This may surprise you, but if you struggle with depression in any way, shape, or form, you're actually in the company of greatness if you open your Bible. Listen to this. The prophet Jeremiah said, I am weary with my groaning and I have found no rest. Does that sound happy to anybody? The patriarch Moses, 
leads the people of Israel. He's a leader. He's God's guy. He's got this really cool stick that can split oceans. I mean, he is the man, and this is where he gets to. He says, I cannot carry all of these people by myself. The burden's too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, talking to God, put me to death right now. If I found no favor in your eyes, don't let me face my own ruin. David is the king of Israel. Everything that we would ever want, power, prestige, he's got it all. And he said this, save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. I'm in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. David is saying, I'm drowning in despair. Speaking of drowning, here's some words from a guy that was saved from drowning, getting swallowed by a fish. The prophet Jonah says, now, O Lord, take away my life. It's better for me to die than live. Jonah is so down in life. If you would have sang, you've got the joy, 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 joy to Jonah, he would have punched you in the throat. Speaking of biblical heroes who get way down, listen to the prophet Elijah. This might surprise you, but right on the heels of being triumphant with God over 400 prophets of Baal, we find Elijah running into the desert. He's got a crazy queen by the name of Jezebel chasing him. And he, the Bible says this, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there. That's going to become important in a bit. While he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness, came down to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush fell asleep. Now some of you would go, okay, but hold on, Grant, this Old Testament guys, it was different. We've got Jesus, the Holy Spirit. It's different. Listen to the Apostle Paul. Greatest missionary ever. He said, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Let's add one more. How about Jesus? During his time on earth, here's a place Jesus got to. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he pleads to his friends, stay here and keep watch with me. I know some of you are struggling with the content right now. Would you stay here and keep watch with me? Here's what I promise you. When you leave today, the sun will be shining and it'll be 74 degrees outside. I'm not saying Jesus was depressed. I'm saying we have a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses and steps into the storm so we're not alone. So I found out statistically I wasn't alone. Then I found out biblically I was not alone. I began to learn that there were common causes that many of us deal with on a daily basis. Let me share some of the common causes for depression. I think they're important. First one, long-term erosive stress. Do you know what you have been through in the last year? You've been through long-term erosive stress. Every time you thought you had something figured out, somebody changed the rules on you. How do I act at work? How do I act with my friends? How do I do this? How do I do that? Social media, ah! It wears you down because it makes you feel like the waterline is right here. Second cause, profound loss or trauma. Grief, witnessing a traumatic accident, chronic pain, the loss of a loved one or the long-term caregiving of a loved one. All of those things can take someone into this very place 
a place of depression. Another one is unresolved chronic problems. This is the prolonged inability to find a solution to a family issue or a job issue or a personal issue, and it can overwhelm you to the, fo- to the point where you feel like you're just wrapped in despair. This next one was very personal for me. It's pressure to excel can actually lead you to depression. I have two settings. Nothing and perfection. That's what I go after. I'm not, it's not in between for me. It's either this. I either feel nothing or it's like it better be perfect or it's not good enough. That pressure when you're a pastor is not helpful because time's flying and people are dying and we need to get on this thing. I mean, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And the more I pushed, the smaller my heart shriveled. I felt like the Grinch. Another cause can be spiritual warfare. Now, let me put a qualifier around this. I am not a a demon behind every rock or spiritual root behind every ache and pain kind of a person. But I know from personal experience that the enemy loves to steal our joy and will stop at nothing to make you miserable. Now, let's be honest. Sometimes the warfare is personally enacted because we just make bad decisions. And sometimes we don't want to confess those bad decisions and it gets stuck inside of us and it gets pushed down really, really deep. And that's why I love when my Bible says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just and will forgive your sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But let's just be honest. Sometimes it's coming from the outside. Sometimes it's coming from the inside. And finally, there's medically verified challenges and imbalances. I have friends who deal with clinical depression. There are physical and chemical reasons for it. It's a medical fact. If you're walking through that, you need medical help, and I'm not talking about WebMD, okay? We need to walk through the process. Some of you are listening right now going, I am not there. That's okay. You can pray for the rest of us. But some of you are going, yeah, I'm there. Maybe not that deep, but, but, but I'm there. And now there's another element at play that showed up in the last year or so. Depression one is one piece, but a close relative of depression is anxiety. Pre-pandemic, 11% of Americans dealt with depression and anxiety. Now, 41%. 30 points up. Wow. Mike, if I got my, if I got my math right, it was a 275% increase, right? There you go. Believe it or not, now, more than half, about 55% of Jesus followers say they experienced deep anxiety sometime in the last year. And if you don't know what it feels like, it's kind of like this. Your heart begins to race. Your mind begins to create scenarios you can't control. Your respiration begins to pick up. You feel it in your chest, your hands, your head, your heart. Your body's reacting to stressors and the stressors you can't control. There's financial stress, relational stress, change, tension, upheaval, and worry. And and here's, here's what's tough. In the world, anxieties actually seem as normal. We kind of live off of it at some level. The dictionary defines it as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain, uh, uncertain outcome. Some of us hear that and we go, that's every day for me. Here's what makes it tough. In the church, anxiety is seen as a lack of trust in God. And again, you're not alone. Let me go biblical with you. Listen to a conversation between Martha and Jesus. The Lord said to her in reply, Martha, Martha, You're anxious and worried about many things. 
but there's need of only one thing. She was feeling it, stress, tension inside of her. Job, Old Testament patriarch, said, I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I'm not at rest, and turmoil keeps coming. First Samuel 1, Hannah's distressed because she can't have children, and now she's being taunted with Penaniah, her husband's other wife. I'm not even going to get into the stress of polygamy. Let's not go there. Another sermon, another time, okay? And her distress, though, is it's caused by unfulfilled desire, and now she's got a rival harassing her. Esther chapter 4, the entire Jewish nation, they are anxious and worried because a royal decree has actually outlawed them. They're about to be massacred. Queen Esther's anxious because she's planning to risk her life to save her people. I mean, the fear of death and the unknown, that's a key element in anxiety. Some of us deal with it momentarily. Other people in our church family deal with it chronically. Can I say something to my brothers and sisters who struggle with this chronically? We love you. We pray for you. You are not alone. I remember the first Sunday we were live streaming. I mean, we found out, what, I think on a Tuesday or a Wednesday that everybody's outside, we've got to go online. Just like, boom, just like that. I remember the very first service. I'm pacing around inside of the worship center and the feed stops working. My heart is pounding. I'm playing out scenarios in my head. My breathing's accelerated. I feel like the whole world is closing in on me, which was saying something because this room was completely empty except for our fabulous tech team. I mean, I'm just like, I'm stirred up. I am, I'm freaking out. I'm experiencing a moment of anxiety. You know what was so beautiful? I opened my email because I didn't know what else to do. And Larry Farr, God bless his heart, zinged me an email in that moment. All he said was, take a breath, we're here. We're here. I'm like, okay. About eight minutes later, which seemed like eight years later, the feed came back up again. We have those moments. The biblical word used for anxiety has the same root word as our word for worry. The Bible actually puts them side by side. Merimnao means to be divided or distracted. That word was translated into Latin. The Latin word was anxious, which means to be choked or strangled. Think about that for just a second. We're divided between the heaviness of today and the unknown of tomorrow. We're distracted between what is and the scenarios created in our mind that rarely happen. Here's what, it's an interesting thing about anxiety experts. They say 99% of the scenarios we create in our head never actually become a reality but it takes our breath away. So in my depression of 2011, in the anxious moments of 2020, the word that I would use to describe it is just struggle. It was a struggle. Here's what we're not gonna do. I'm not going to insult your journey with five easy steps to defeat depression and anxiety. That stuff drives me nuts. But I would like to share with you a perspective of learning that has helped me find healing for my own soul. So in the grip of all of this stuff, this is how I navigated the dark clouds of anxiety and depression. And this is important because let me take a quick look at what it is that you told me. Just a second, gotta download the results. And then I've gotta add things in my head. There we go. 70% of the people in this room and watching online right now said that their anxiety or depression has gone up, either a little or a lot. 
That's significant. So let's walk it through. My first step was to open my soul to God's restoration. You know, the words of the famous psalm go like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake, even though I walk through the darkest valley. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God restored my soul. He opened a door. He said, I need you to participate in this. And so I joined him in the work of finding my way back to the light again. I pressed down deep. I saturated myself with God's word. I had three by five cards with scriptures everywhere. Wayne Cordero, great pastor from Hawaii, wrote this after his nervous breakdown and his struggle with depression. He said, there must be certain pilings driven so deeply into my soul that in times of crisis, they will serve as immovable, unquestionable anchors in my life. Scripture became those pilings that I, that I drilled down to, to hold me fast. It was scripture and old songs. Great is thy faithfulness. Holy, 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 amazing grace. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. Cordero also wrote these words. He said, in the night, a sailor cannot see land, nor can he get his bearings from the coastline. Now he must navigate by trusting the dimly lit buoys already set in place. If you ever have an opportunity to go down to Boulevard Park on a clear night, you can look off in the distance and you see these little tiny red lights be bopping back and forth in the water. It's a dimly lit buoy. It's not there for your visual enjoyment. It's there to guide a sailor home. And you have to put them ahead of, out there ahead of time. To my brothers and sisters in the room who don't share this struggle, I want to encourage you to be thankful, but also to be watchful. Because we don't know what seasons are coming and we may need, to, we may need to, to put out some buoys. We may need to drill some pilings because we don't know what's coming next. If you've struggled in the past but are in a good season now, we still need to be prepared and be watchful. We need to place the buoys of God's word in the water so when the storm rages, we can always find our way home. Secondly, I refuse to isolate. And believe me, everything in me wanted to do the opposite. I wanted to be alone in the dark and alone in the panic, but then I read the story of Elijah and it hit me. You might have missed it the first time I read it, but it says this, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, which infers something. He walked alone. Not wise. The enemy would love for you to be alone in your despair because then his voice can dominate your thoughts. Don't take the bait. Instead of pulling away, push in. Refuse to be alone. Being alone with Jesus is absolutely beautiful. But isn't it interesting that Jesus kept saying, you need biblical community. You need a family. You need people who will love you, who will surround you, who will walk with you no matter how dark it gets. Thirdly, I talked it out with a wise counselor. The Bible says where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. So I went to a counselor. I still see him to this day. If you have an issue with the fact that the pastor of this church sees a counselor, I don't know what to tell you. 
It's helpful and it's healthy. I've told this story before many times. It's one of my favorites. And if you've heard it before, you can finish all the punchlines with me. But I think it's so unbelievably valuable. Dr. Patty Ducklow came into my life when I was on sabbatical. I call him Ducky. The reason that I found out about Dr. Ducky is because he'd helped several pastors through nervous breakdowns. I didn't want to get there. I still don't want to get there, which is why we keep talking. He pressed into me about these perfection tendencies. The need to stay busy. I will never forget our first session. I mean, I, I'm there in his office. And I'm like, we're going to go. Like, we're going to get this thing straightened out. This is going to be awesome. Like, fix me. Three easy steps. That's what I need. His first question was, what did you have for breakfast? I don't know. Bacon and something. I have no idea. Next session. What did you have for breakfast? I, I don't know. Coffee and something. Like, what does it matter? You're asking me about my diet? I need you to fix my head. <laughs> Apparently I have a problem with anger too. I'm working on that one. So I'm just saying, but you know, I just. Session after session after session after session. What'd you have for breakfast? And then one morning, before I drove up to Vancouver to see Ducky, it hit me. And I walked into his office Ready. Hey, Grant, what'd you have for breakfast? Oh, I said, I had a bagel. It was toasted perfectly. It tasted like cinnamon nutmeg. I also poured myself a cup of coffee, and here's what I figured out is every time I put the creamer in my coffee, which I know is not healthy for me, but I, hate, I, I, I like it anyway, coconut cream. It's so beautiful, right? And then I take my spoon, and I always stir three times in a counterclockwise direction, and I tap my spoon twice. And then I lay down the spoon on the counter, bowl part first, and then I run my finger out and let the end fall off because I really like the little ting sound that it makes when it hits the granite. He said, finally, you're living, you're tasting, you're experiencing, you're savoring. You, you hadn't done that for years. I actually started living life again. I, I don't want to open the door to all kinds of crazy answers. People are going to be like, oh, I'm all prepared right now. But I'd love to ask some of you the question, what you have for breakfast? started making choices about life-giving and life-draining activity. I started making choices about life-giving and life-draining people. I started talking it out, and it was beautiful. Hard, but beautiful. Number four, I actually received the help. Psalm 107 is all about God's help. God offers help. The question is how many of us are wise enough to receive it. As part of my journey, Laurel was praying with me for God's help. It was a Saturday night service. I was standing up here on the, on the ramp and this guy came shooting out, went up the ramp, walked up to me and stuck his fingers on the side of my neck. I'm like, whoa, dude. Like, he goes, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm a doctor. My name's Lee. By the way, Lee and Nancy, if you're watching this morning from Branson, Missouri, love you guys, miss you lots. Lee saw something that night that he was not comfortable with, and so he actually did something about it. And, and we entered into a relationship, not only him as my doctor, but him as my friend. 
We started talking about some physical changes that I need to make, and then he offered me something that I did not want. He offered me a prescription, and I will be honest with you, I battled it like you have no idea. I'm like, I want to get help, but I don't want it that way. Nope. Nope. I want to pray my way out of this. I want to serve my way out of this. And I actually had an argument with that little red bottle that sat beside my sink for a really long time. You're welcome to your own opinion on this. I'm just sharing my story. It was actually Laurel who came to me one day and said, so let me get this straight. You asked God for help. He sent you a doctor who loves you and offered help, and now you want to negotiate the terms by which the help comes by? Really? I'm not saying that medication is the way you should go. It's your choice. I would just like to submit to you an idea. Who, who was it that, that, that you think inspired that chemist at some point to use their expertise in order to create something that could actually help somebody? I think I know who inspires all of that. All I know is this. It moved the water line from here to here. And I could breathe couple more I chose to rest the longest and most detailed commandment from God in scripture is the one about Sabbath and rest so I made a decision to get off the treadmill of performance it's still a decision I have to make every single day I have to choose I rested in God even though my perfectionist work ethic screamed at me and I began to learn God's principles of the divine opposites which is this whenever your flesh takes you in one direction God is often asking you to go the opposite way when my heart said, be alone, God was saying, stay connected. When your flesh says, keep pushing, God keeps saying, I need you to rest. So I rested, I changed my pace. I heard a different cadence. I always thought God's rhythm was like this. Like, come on, let's go. And then I found out. That God's okay with a different rhythm of life. That's just kind of fun. I think I'll just keep doing it. Let's keep going a couple more. Actually, I gave my cloud away. First Peter says, cast all of your care. Some of your translations say anxiety. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I had to do that over and over and over again. I had to come to Jesus and say, this is yours. I can't live underneath of it anymore. I chose to hand it over because I just wanted to be obedient. And God, I'm going to trust you to carry me through this dark or anxious moment. It had to happen every moment of every day. And it continues to right now. And then finally, I made the choice to trust in God's unfailing love. Earlier, I read you some words from King David. Let him speak again, and I'm going to warn you on the front end. This is, it's hard. This is difficult stuff. David says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and, and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And can we just be honest enough to say enemies come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me, answer me, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. David says all of those things and then he pivots the narrative. Verse five of Psalm 13 says, but. Here's all this stuff, God. 
and it's heavy and it's dark, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I'm not talking about creating this false narrative that I'm fine. I've got the joy, joy, joy. No, it's actually saying, God, your unfailing love is as real to me as what I am feeling and experiencing right now. And I'm asking that your unfailing love would overwhelm everything else. And I'm going to walk through this day by day, moving in the direction of you. And this is the narrative I'm going to continue to pour into my heart. His love endures forever. His love endures for when I don't feel like it. His love endures forever. When I feel like I'm dying, his love endures forever. And I push that in. We're going to flip the narrative with a podcast that we're going to release. Actually, we released it on Thursday. If you haven't joined us already on continuing the conversation with Grant and Laurel, boy, we'd love to do that. And here's what I'm going to promise you. If you join us in this episode, you're actually going to have some fun. We're going to laugh a little bit and we're going to flip the narrative over. Believe it or not, there were actually some incredible blessings that came out of 2020. Some amazing things that God did in people's lives. And we want to talk about that and share about that. Not because it, it makes the hard stuff any less hard. It just allows us to be able to say his love endures through everything. David said it that way. The apostle Paul said it this way. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And here comes the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses or transcends or exceeds all of your human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Don't be anxious about anything. God, that's hard. But he still says it. God, how can you say that? Because my love endures forever. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So to all of you on this Memorial Day weekend, whether you're watching at home or in a campground somewhere or on your back patio or you're here in the room, please know this, there, there is peace and there's hope. This is what Satan wants you to believe. He wants you to believe there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's a lie. Oh no, there's light. Glorious light from the light of the world that says one day you're gonna step over a line and it's all going to make sense. So hold on to that. There is peace. There is hope for every one of the Bible characters that I mentioned today and for this person right here. I wanna remind you what you're living through right now is a season. It's not a sentence to be served. It's a season to be celebrated. And one day, we will exchange this season of challenge for a season of victory. 
when we embrace that great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses and wrap our arms around Jesus. And he will say, welcome home. Oh, by the way, in my house, there is no more depression and there is no more anxiety. There is just peace, rest, and hope for my children. Come home. Come home. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful that today, knowing what it was that we were going to talk about, I am so thankful that there is a beautiful, glorious day waiting for us on the other side of those doors. God, I pray that you would lift our hearts, lift our spirit. As you say in scripture that you are the lifter of our head. God, I pray that we would step into this with so much assurance that we are not alone, that you are with us, that you are for us, and that, that God, it, 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 it's not just an easy thing to walk through, but God, you walk us through the valley of the shadow. So Lord, for my brothers and sisters who are not struggling with this, I pray that you would use their joy to inspire us. God, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters who may be struggling with this, and may they know that they have a God whose love endures forever. So Jesus, may we take this deep into our soul. As we turn a corner into a brand new series starting next week, God, lift our head, lift our heart, and may we focus on the light at the end of the tunnel. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us on the mountaintop and in the valley. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen.